Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 53, brought to you by the Frontside, where we engineer user experience that is just so. Um, if that's something that you're interested in, please feel free to reach out to us uh, on either Twitter or at contact at thefrontside.io. Today, we have a really fun episode. Again, we're second week in a row. We've got a, a, a nice fat panel. Uh, Jeffrey Cherawadi and Chris Freeman, who are developers here at the front side. And we're also here with Godfrey Chan. Just a little bit of background on Godfrey, certainly from my perspective. I remember very distinctly back in EmberConf 2014, I went out to dinner and I sat across from this guy who was the organizer of the Vancouver Ember meetup. Was it Vancouver? Yeah, that is correct. Vancouver, BC. Yeah, Vancouver, BC. And, you know, I was struck at the time. I was like, wow, this guy is really smart and insightful and actually making me laugh a lot. You're very kind. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but that was born out at the next uh, Ember Comp in 2015, where he gave this fantastic talk on just kind of the power of Ember Data's adapter and serializer layer, where he kind of repeated the same trick, except uh, at scale in front of the audience. I, I think we were all just like, you know, rolling in our chairs with laughter, but also learning a lot about this really, really powerful pattern. And you had written a serializer and adapter layer to basically build without a backend at all, a, a completely new UI for Hacker News. Um, it was really a fantastic talk. And, and since then, you know, you've just been going on to do a, a bunch of other great things. You joined the Rails core team, the Ember core team, and most recently, uh, and it sounds like the major thrust of what the last year or so has been kind of giving birth to <laughs> Glimmer 2, which is the next generation of the rendering engine in the Ember JS framework. And it's a really fascinating topic. And so, yeah, thanks, Godfrey, for coming on and talking with us about this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a huge, deep topic. And so we're just going to scratch the surface. Obviously, you can't cover a year of, of life in just under an hour. We're going to do our best. Why don't we talk just a little bit about what Glimmer 2 is? I mean, if we, for our audience members who are, you know, deeply involved with the Ember community, it probably is not going to come as a surprise, but we actually do have, you know, other listeners. What is it and why is it, why is it important? Like all good software, Glimmer 2 was basically born out of an accident, right? Glimmer 2, uh, on a very high level, is the new rendering engine for Ember. That's pretty vague, but I, I guess we'll go back a little bit in terms of the timeline and maybe that will become more clear. So the time frame was pretty much when I first joined Tilder. We shipped 1.13 for a while and uh, we just about to ship 2.0, right? So that's when the original Glimmer landed, right? So that year at EmberConf, I believe it's EmberConf 2015, right? Like Tom and Yehuda talked about this new Glimmer thing on stage that has promised to... Um, basically renew the Ember programming model to better match um, the data down, actions up paradigm as opposed to uh, very reliant on two-way bindings and stuff like that, right? So on, on one hand, it gives you a better programming model, and on the other hand, it's promised to be uh, much faster at re-rendering. It's more or less in inspired by React, right? Like, so you can just treat your component as if it's refreshing a page on a, you know, a server rendered HTML or something like that, right? So you can just update your data and then re-render a component and it's going to be efficient enough that you can just basically rely on that as the main programming model. So that shipped in 1.14. For the most part, it was great. And so we were planning to start working on the next thing. And at the time, the plan was to work on rehydration. And if you're not very familiar with it, it's basically the next iteration of fast boot, right? Like where you can today, when you have a fast boot rendered page, uh, when it goes to the client, it has to then download JavaScript, the data, and re-render the page, basically throw away the DOM, and then reinsert the newly rendered content into the page. And there are several problems with that, right? Like most notably, you will, well, first of all, it's a lot of wasted work, right? Because you already rendered all the HTML on the server side, and now you're redoing the work and you're throwing them away. But also your users will probably see a brief flash because you're deleting the old DOM and you're replacing it with a new DOM. And um, you probably lose um, important things like screw position and probably not the most performant way to do that also, right? So that that's what we're going to work on next basically allow the rendering engine to, instead of rendering a new DOM, just rehydrate the existing um, markup that was sent by the server and just 
you know, wire up the thing so it can be updated further on the client side. So what I'm hearing is that the original Glimmer uh, that was introduced in 2015, it had to always assume starting from a zero state. It couldn't take an existing DOM and kind of converge. Right. That's still true today, right? So I, I wouldn't say it's the that the rendering engine is not capable. It's just that the feature was not written yet, right? So at the time, we were about to start writing that feature. So it took us maybe a week or two spiking on it. We got something working. Like as we go through that exercise, um, I was basically new to the code base at the time. So um, Yehuda was explaining a lot of things to me. We were pairing basically full time at the time. If you know Yehuda, he also travels a lot, right? Like he has a lot of other responsibility, like TC49. So uh, like we basically pair it for a few days and then he might go on a short trip or I might go on a short trip for a conference or whatever. And then we'll come back. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I basically forgot most of the things. So we have to go through the concepts again. And then that was a little bit painful. And on the other hand, the code was not really that well rationalized or well structured. It's a relatively old code base, or at least in terms of JavaScript age. And the original Glimmer one was basically bolted on top of um, what we were using at the time, which is the HTML bars engine. We can perhaps go into a little bit more details on that later, but Basically, the engine was not really designed for a lot of those use cases, so it was getting a little bit difficult. And separately, on another thread, a lot of things going on at the same time, we're getting more reports on performance regression on Glimmer 1, which is perhaps a little bit surprising because the whole point of Glimmer 1 was to reduce a new algorithm to make things faster, right? That's the big promise of the original Glimmer. Well, it turns out that Indeed, we made re-render performance a lot faster. However, because it was so slow before, basically no one used that feature ever. So the existing apps are not getting um, any of the benefits because you're like you would have to do a lot of refactor to take advantage of new programming model. Um, however, you ex- you have existing code that you're already using in production, right? So um, those code did not use the new programming model, did not get any of the benefit. And on top of that, it turns out that even though we have a superior algorithm in Glimmer 1, we inadvertently regressed the initial render performance for components. It's not a trade-off that we explicitly made, right? It's just that we wrote a lot of new code and we were mostly focusing on making the re-render pass as fast as possible. And by the time we're done, everything seems fine. We shipped, but um, in the wild, people reported, oh, actually, it turns out um, the thing I care about just got slower. And because it's not like a design decision, a trade-off that we made, we don't actually know what's going on. Like, we have a lot of new code somehow that made things slower. We need to investigate. Basically, at that time, we had to pause our work on rehydration and focus more on performance. So as we dug deeper into this rabbit hole, um, it turns out one of the main thing that happened was we completely we did how we handled blocks, right? So that's when in a handlebars template, you have a pound or a hash, like let's say pound if, and then if something, and then there's a block in there, and then you do slash if, that's a block in um, handlebars. So it, it turns out we we made some significant changes in how that works, and blocks got significantly slower for some reason. And you can see that by comparing the performance between the block form of the if helper, like pound if, blah, 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 versus the equivalent of uh, the inline form, right? Just uh, um, curly, curly, if something, then show like render a string, otherwise render some other string, right? So if you compare those two versions, they really should be the same thing, right? Like they are not functionally any different, but if you compare the rendering performance between the two versions, it turns out the block version is like an, an order of magnitude slower for some reason. And that's bad because it turns out we also made some changes to how components work. And um, each component has at least two hidden blocks that you can't see, right? Like basically how the tag name and stuff are rendered. So each component is some blocks and blocks got a lot slower. So the end result is component initial rendering got slower. And that's unfortunate because um, that's probably one of the most useful feature of 
Ember or any view two kits like on the client side, right? Like the way I like to think about it is like if you're writing code and if you're a really long function, you probably want to break it down to smaller function for your own sanity. I think components serve a similar role in your templates, right? Like when your template got really big, you probably want to split up into some more modular or hopefully reusable components. If nothing else, just to break it down to smaller chunks so you can reason about it, right? So components are really important and the community is really starting to pick up the idea of components around that time. And unfortunately, we made a change that made components slower, so we have to do something about it. And so that's more or less why Glimmer 2 happened, right? Like it started out as an investigation into why components got slower, what can we do to make it faster? And deeper, we dig down that that rabbit hole. We found more things about the HTML bars engine that is not very aligned with the way we want things to work, which makes it more inefficient than we would like, right? So basically it started out as an effort to realign how the engine actually works with what we actually do with the engine. It started out pretty incremental and at some point several things happened that basically caused it to become a complete rewrite. So that's basically the backstory of Glimmer 2. Okay, so so now you know here we are there are these fundamental problems with Glimmer 1 that just you can't get to where it is that you want to go, which is these sounds like these set of optimizations. Um, so a rewrite is underway. So what were the key things that needed to change in order to make this happen? The overarching theme is basically the original rendering engine. There's not much of a rendering engine to speak of. I think at the time, we don't really fully understand what our requirements are, right? Like we don't really know what our needs are. So we built something very, very flexible. So that's basically HTML bars. And you can, it's kind of self-evident that that is true because we could take HTML bars and retrofit the Glimmer 1 algorithm on top, right? HTML bars is basically literally just handlebars plus HTML, right? Like it basically is a library that's capable of rendering HTML. And every time it like basically it's capable of rendering static HTML and every time it sees a double curly, like or a mustache, as we would call it in handlebars, right? Like every time you see open uh, double curly braces, it provides a set of hooks for you to hook into that process, right? Like, so every time you see curly, curly, what happens, right? Like it basically see that, oh, this is a block or this is an inline helper. And it basically just delegate to Ember to please tell me what to do next, right? That's basically handlebars. And so can, if I, if I can kind of interject a question, because I think this is kind of a source of confusion, uh, certainly for me, is what is exactly the relationship between handlebars JS? Like if you go to handlebars JS, the GitHub organization, it is a separate code base. Is that just a parser and a syntax? Like what, what exactly do the individual libraries contribute? Because we have like handlebars JS, HTML bars, Glimmer 1, Glimmer 2, and I think it's a source of confusion. It's like how are these composed to work in tandem or in in tritum when i actually use ember because i know there's people who use handlebars js you know have nothing to do with the ember community and so what's the relationship there right so there's handlebars the language so to speak and there's handlebars js the library um so handlebars is basically just a string templating language right like the the word templating is probably more confusing than it helps in this context but it basically it's fancy string interpolation right so in javascript now i, I guess in esx you can do it um, or in ruby you you have basically special notations in string to interpolate things right like handlebars is basically a platform independent language for writing interpolated strings yeah, some fancy features like helpers and stuff, right? But at the very core, it's basically a way to write really long interpolated strings. So um, handlebars JS is the JavaScript bindings for that language, right? So as I said, handlebars itself is platform independent, but if you have a helper in handlebars, it needs to, like, you need to be able to write code for that helper somehow. And handlebars JS basically is the binding that let you write those helper functions in JavaScript. So handlebars JS has, yes, it indeed has a parser in there. So you can give it a handlebars template and it would parse it into an AST for you. 
And it also has a small runtime library that allow you to register helpers and stuff like that. So that's Handlebars JS, and HTML Bars is using Handlebars JS. In some sense, yes. So originally, the very original Ember up to 110 or something like that actually uses Handlebar.js, right? So it used to be that we actually do everything as string templates. We basically just interpolate the string, and then we more or less just set element in HTML equals that string, and that's like how Ember used to render things on the screen. Now HTML bars. Does use a part of that pipeline specifically. It uses the handlebars parser. So how it actually works is there. There are two possible orders, and maybe in the middle of this, I realized I was wrong, and it's actually the other order. But I believe、um, how it works is we like let's say you have an HTML bars template、um, or like a basically just a .hps file in your Ember app. You basically Run that through the handlebars parser, right? So you basically get, oh, this is some string, and then there's some curly mustache here, and maybe this is a helper, this is a block, this is a whatever, right? And then I believe we then take all the text nodes in the、um, handlebars SST, and then we parse that as、um, HTML tokens. Right, so basically, if you have user dot first name, let's say, and close curly curly close diff, that will basically end up being parsed into combined ASD of oh, there's an open element of diff, and then there's a mustache of user dot first name, and then there is a close element of diff. Right, so that's the extent that HTML bars uses handlebars. It basically uses the handlebars parser to help with some of the work. Now, the part I said I always get wrong is either you parse it through handlebars first, and then you parse the HTML inside the handlebars SD, or you parse the HTML first, and then you use handlebars to parse the curlies inside the HTML SD. I'm pretty sure we do the handlebars thing first. But I'm still not 100% sure. So, one way or the other, if it turns, let's say it parses handlebars first. If it turns out that I'm wrong, I'll probably send a tweet or something after the show. So, does that answer your question? Does that make it more clear? It does, because I was always kind of wondering: Does Glimmer and Glimmer 2 include its own completely separate implementation of handlebars or not? And I think that that answers the question of where that boundary lies. Right, and、um, I think it actually there's a minor detail. I think we're actually on a older version of handlebars.、Um, I think there's some new handlebars feature that we need to reconcile. But for the most part, yes, we use the handlebars parser, and that's basically the part of handlebars JS we actually use. So that leads on great to talking about. Okay, we. Use the handlebars parser at the the bottom layer. How do you maintain that compatibility? Since you want to have a really great upgrade path from using HTML bars as the renderer to using Glimmer one or two、uh, as the renderer. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you were able to maintain that public facing compatibility? Actually, the handlebars parser part is probably the least. Interesting part in terms of compatibility. When we did Glimmer one, now I'm kind of speaking as a third outsider person here because I was not super involved at that time. But from what I hear, after EmberCon 2015, there was a website called isemberfastyet.com. It basically count down the number of、um, failing tests, right? So、uh, Glimmer one was kind of a similar situation in that. It was still using the same HTML bars library, and it was part of one thirteen, right? So it still maintained support for a lot of the、um, legacy features like Ember views and things like that. So it's quote unquote easy in in a sense that. Most of the tests are still applicable, so you more or less you just rewrite the code and you keep running the test and see what pass or what fails, and then when everything is green, you ship. So that's the Glimmer one story. However, basically the devil is in the details, right? The tricky thing is at the time the test coverage is not very good, right? Like so, basically,、uh, as it turns out, passing all the tests doesn't really mean a whole lot. So the difficulty in Glimmer one is basically you don't even know who your enemy is, right? Like 
there are not a lot of ways to find out if you actually did the job or not, other than actually just shipping it, right? So as you ship, people start to report a lot of um, bugs and basically, oh, crap, actually, this is not tested at all. So now we need to fix it. And that went on for a long time, right? Like if you actually look at the release history, 114 actually probably had the most number of point releases. And that's probably the biggest divergence we ever had from the six weeks release cycle. So that, that was Glimmer 1. And um, unfortunately, um, what the software is supposed to do is very underspecified at the time, or at least in terms of actual tests. So it was a long process and a somewhat painful process for the community to figure out what we actually need to support. So that was the 114 transition. And unfortunately, some apps are still stuck on 114 today because of that, really, because some add-ons or like some part of the code base is using some of the features that were previously undocumented or unspecified, and um, it doesn't work on Glimmer 1 anymore. So that's Glimmer 1, right? So basically, after that transition, we have a much better test coverage story to work with when we did Glimmer 2. However, on the other hand, we actually rewrote the entire engine. And also, in leading up to that, we actually dropped a lot of the um, legacy Ember features, right? So the test coverage we previously have is useful to have, but they're also pretty outdated. A concrete example of that is most of the tests previously written was written in terms of views, right? Like, so that's no longer a thing in in Morning Ember, but all of the tests use views internally to test things. So the first thing we actually need to do when we try to integrate Glimmer 2 is to port all of those tests into uh, more, uh, basically update all of those tests and um, make sure they are still meaningful and um, basically modernize them. And that was actually a huge task. Thankfully, it's also a task that's very paralyzable. So uh, what we actually end up doing is I um, I spent a lot of time writing a very long... Actually, the first thing we did is Yehuda and I um, spent some time porting those tests. And uh, Yehuda being Yehuda, we actually spent some time making a really nice abstraction, a really nice test harness for doing that. So we started porting some of those tests. But um, as we started doing that, we realized, holy crap, this is a lot of tests to port. Fortunately, it's very paralyzable. So what I did was I spent some time writing this really long issue, now known as the quest issue for Glimmer 2, uh, which basically outlined, hi everyone, this is what we are trying to accomplish, right? Like, so this is going to be a lot of work, but fortunately the work is pretty mechanical, or at least the transformation is pretty easy to describe in words. So I did that. I described the work that needs to be done, and we basically invited uh, the community to um, help along. Let's see. That's um, issue number 13127 on the Ember report, right? So that's the that's known as the quest issue and basically have a checklist of all the tests that still needs to be ported. And surprisingly, a lot of people were really into that, right? Like a lot of people, it turns out, were interested in contributing to Ember but didn't know where to start. And this quest issue ended up being a very good place for someone new to Ember to start contributing. So we got a lot of response from that and um, within a relatively short amount of time certainly much less than uh, what we would have spent time doing it ourselves right like in a relatively short amount of time all the tests were ported and um, I think that was one of the most successful call for help in uh, in the history of Ember or even in the history of open source software that I am personally involved with and um, as, as part of that to um, by doing the harness and we actually introduced a more much more rigorous approach to testing things. So in that process, the test coverage actually probably increased several folds um, as well. So with that, we were able to have a relatively high confidence that once all the tests are passing, that we're in certainly in a very, very good shape. There might still be some unspecified behavior, right? Like there will always be some of them, but I think given the Glimmer 1 transition and also given the new style testing that is a lot more rigorous than before, we certainly did much, much better than compared to Glimmer 1. After doing the original Glimmer 1 and 
or even further back, right? Like we did, um, we started with handlebars and then we wrote HTML bars and then we, uh, wrote Glimmer one. By now we are actually have a pretty good picture of what we are actually trying to accomplish here. The requirements is becoming more clear. And at the same time, we have a much better or much clearer model to work with on the Ember side because we got rid of a lot of the legacy features in the transition into Ember 2.0. So HTML bars started off as a very generic library that allow you to add behavior on top of HTML and handlebars. And Glimmer one was basically a bloated on thing using those um, very generic infrastructure to implement the algorithm we actually want. So Glimmer 2 is basically, okay, it turns out that we actually know what we're doing now. We don't need a super generic uh, infrastructure for this. So let's um, make a more tailor fit thing for the requirements we actually have, right? So an example of that is in HTML bars, there's no concept of components, Right. Like there's only this thing called block helpers or like it's like either inline helpers or block helpers. And basically what happens is every time you see curly, curly something and then you call into Ember, Hey, I found a curly, curly. Please do whatever you wish with this. And then we check. Oh, it turns out this thing has a dash in there. So probably a component. Let me try to resolve that. Oh, it turns out it actually is a component. So now please synthesize some things and like call back into the HTML bars library. Hey, this is the thing I actually want to render. Please do it. And Glimmer 2, we're like, well, actually, component is a pretty fundamental feature in our engine, so let's build it into the rendering engine, right? So hopefully that would give you a better idea of what I actually mean by um, realigning the engine with what we actually want, right? So this is basically, okay, we know we have a pretty good specification of a problem now, so we will build a thing that solves that specific problem. And when I say we let's build components into Glimmer, I don't mean a very like it's not even a very concrete thing, right? Like I don't mean the current syntax that it happens to be Ember or the hypothetical angle bracket component syntax that's coming to Ember, right? It's just a very generic concept of like there's a thing called component. It's kind of like function calls, but in templates. So um, let's make sure we have uh, good support of that. So basically the more the engine knows, the better we are able to optimize that, right? Previously is like, oh, turns out there's a helper-ish thing here. So I guess the only thing we can do is to hand it back into Ember and let it do whatever it wants. Now the engine actually knows that, oh, this is a component, right? So let's try to figure out how we can optimize this component invocation based on what else we know about the arguments and things like that. So um, that's basically the motivation or the design behind Plumber 2. Right. It's amazing. It's, you know, you find this pattern kind of cropping up again and again in software where less really is more and the more assumptions that you can make, you know, you can often make the system, the underlying system more powerful. Um, and it's kind of counterintuitive because, you know, we want to think we want to make everything super flexible and it can handle every single case. But it turns out that if you can eliminate a bunch of cases uh, just out of hand, then you know you're going to have like more power, um, and so I'm actually that's one of the things that I'm curious about is like it sounds like a lot of the motivation has been around performance, you know, making sure that initial render uh, is performant um, and not just uh, a re-render. And I'm kind of curious what non-performance related features is this going to unlock? Like what can you know? It's this has been a a, a while coming. You know, Glimmer two landed in what two dot ten? That sounds about right. <laughs> So looking forward, what are some of the things that we can expect or what are the kind of cool features that this is going to unlock and and what's the potential that we're going to see realized kind of over the next few years based on this work that's been done? In a very technical sense, there are not necessarily uh, a lot of features that are absolutely blocked by in a very narrow sense of the words. However, as I mentioned before, uh, everyone kind of felt the same way about the previous code base is that basically the complexity is getting a little bit out of control. Like it's so super generic and the things are so spread out across different libraries that's really hard to work with. It's really hard to add new features. 
basically all the rendering related features are kind of put on hold as we worked on Glimmer 2 because everyone knew, oh, like this is a better code base that's going to come along pretty soon. So if we were to do anything significant, we should probably wait for that to finish. And the good news is that has finished now. And um, I think most people would agree the code base is in a much, much better shape now. In that sense, it unblocks a lot of work, both in terms of there's basically this lock that has been released, but it's also in, in the sense that as we design Glimmer 2, we had all of those things in the back of mind and we basically made sure the engine has good support for building out those features right so some of the things that are in the pipeline is i guess rehydration we basically paused like glimmer 2 spun off that but we never got back to finishing that work i would say that's coming there is angle bracket components um so this is actually interesting in that i think the plan for it to land has changed a little bit um i don't know how much i'm supposed to well there there are actually not a lot of secrets but it's just that someone's in the middle of writing out those rcs and i don't know if i should foreshadow too much of that but um as i mentioned before glimmer 2 the engine has pretty good support for components outside of uh, out of the box right like it's a pretty generic concept of component that's not necessarily tied to um, particular syntax and uh, even particular feature set of what you would like it's not tied to a particular component API. Like it does not uh, force you to have a specific base class and stuff. And um, a lot of the features in Ember, like the mount keyword for engines or outlets in Ember or the render helper in Ember, all of those are actually implemented as quote-unquote components under the hood inside engine, even though they're pretty different things from the curly bracket components that you're um you're used to in Ember today, right? So I think the, there's rough consensus on this. Like I said, the RC is still in progress, so a lot of these things can change. But I believe the plan is we'll try to stabilize the core component primitives in the Glimmer 2 engine that basically let you implement your own component API however you want as a very low-level feature. So if you remember how we implemented engine, it's kind of similar, right? So we we stabilized the core primitives for making engines work under in Ember, and then we have an official Ember engines add-on that uses those primitives to provide the actual user-facing API we want to um, support. So I believe Angle Bracket Component would be similar in that we will try to stabilize the core primitive of um, implementing components in the Glimmer engine, and then we'll iterate on um, the new Ember Component API as probably as an add-on or something like that. So, you know, we can get more people to try it and, like, improve the API before we actually land that as a core feature in Ember. What it sounds like I'm hearing is there's actually the potential here to, you know, treat the kind of the core component API as an extension point. Like if I wanted to define my own different set of semantics and lifecycle hooks and what have you for, you know, my special components within my add-on or my Ember application, I could do that and yet have it exist alongside mm-hmm. kind of standard components. Exactly, exactly. So it's a pretty low-level API, and I don't think most users would want to go through that, right? But it, I think it unlocks a lot of potentials for add-ons and things like that. And and because, I pre- as I previously mentioned, the mount keyword in, in Ember is implement using that API, the render helpers implement using that API. So hopefully you can imagine there are probably something that people really wanted to do in add-ons that could be made possible with that low-level API. And it might not even look like a component. Right, like it could be things like you do in Liquid Fire, or I, I think uh, Runspired uh, has a suite of add-ons that provide some pretty advanced rendering features that could fall under that umbrella. Basically, it just opens up a pretty powerful low-level primitive that add-on authors can use to implement the features they want, but at the same time also allow us to um, iterate on the... I I don't imagine a future where literally everyone is building their own uh, component API. Like I think 
we would still, as a community, have basically this is the main kind of component you use in Ember. But for whatever special case you have, you can drop down to the lower level and do whatever you want. Right. And at least that area for experimentation uh, and innovation is at least there. Right. That actually kind of brings to mind a very specific case that I was thinking about. And so I'll kind of throw this at you as a very friendly curveball of like, is this something that you could conceive of being possible? So I very recently I mean, was working on an Ember application uh, with my dad, uh, and there were some visualizations. And originally I was doing these visualizations in D3, and it was very it was cumbersome uh, as D3 code can actually get. The part where you actually compute uh, the scales, the D3 scales and the uh, SVG attributes in D3 is very concise, but the actual D3 rendering code can be very verbose and can kind of degenerate into this jQuery type like soup. Um, and so what I did is kind of a first pass is I separated kind of the computations and the, the slicing and the dicing of the data in D3 uh, and, and rendered those as, or, or, or presented those to a simple HTML bars template, uh, as computed properties, uh, of a component. So I had like kind of done all the, the computation around the visualization in my Ember component. But then for the template, I used just a simple SVG template and it was beautiful. It was like mm-hmm. so, it was actually, you know, only this pretty complex SVG visualization fit into I want to say, you know, less than 20 lines. Uh, and so you could, you could perceive the entire visualization in, you know, one kind of standard editor window, uh, which if you've done a lot of D3 code is, you know, that's actually hard to achieve. And so when I saw that, and I, I promise I'm going to make a point here, I was like, wow, this is like a powerful, like concept. I feel like this is the way that we ought to be doing SVG visualizations. But the thing that I lost was the thing that kind of is one of the, the, the special sauce of D3, which is I wasn't using D3 to actually do the rendering. I was just doing it for the computation. So I didn't get those really sweet transitions. And so one of the, you know, kind of the sweetest concepts that D3 has is this join model where when you make a change, and you, you know, you push a new set of elements onto the visualization. It computes for you the SVG, you know, the actual DOM elements that are leaving, the ones that are entering and the ones that are updating. And I was thinking, gosh, it would be really great if, you know, there was some way to hook into that inside of Ember. And I'm just kind of curious, would such a thing be possible to actually get hooks on the low-level elements? Because essentially that's what a DOM diff is, right? Which mm-hmm. elements are leaving, which ones are coming in, and which ones are changing. And would it be possible to have those hooks with Glimmer too? Right. I think it's definitely possible. I don't know how much of that is like, you know, I, I don't know how much of that you can actually do right away in the current code base, but I, I think conceptually that makes a lot of sense, and that's definitely uh, something that we should have support for if we can't already do that today. I would caveat that with I, I haven't spent a lot of time doing animations myself personally, but um, I would say that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I hope most of that is already achievable today, but if not, we should definitely make it happen. I think a lot of people didn't realize, but we actually spent a significant amount of time on our end making sure that we have good support for SVG, right? Like we do have a spec compliant um, HTML parser and stuff. So it's actually rendering SVG with Glimmer or with, um, with Ember is actually really nice. And we have some of those animations or visualization stuff in, in Skylight. We, and we actually take a similar approach, right? We, we actually have SVG templates and we basically just use Ember to fill in the dynamic data. And we have some, I believe we have some JavaScript code to do the animation, but, um, we should definitely talk more about that topic and, uh, making sure it's solid. You know, I can't reiterate how sweet it feels to do SVG as SVG. Really, when I kind of stumbled upon it, I was like, wow, man, someone needs to do this more. I believe in the latest iteration of D3, they actually broke up the library into pieces that makes some of those things much more easier. So I think that's uh, definitely a direction that everyone wants to um, head towards. So I know that, like, you, you talked about there are 
people writing RFCs and EmberConf is coming up, and so I'm assuming that there are, you know, possibly some things that are going to be talked about there. But one of the things that has really kind of floated around Glimmer 2 ever since last year's EmberConf is that in terms of, like, the next leap forward for Ember, Glimmer 2 was often pointed to as kind of, like, the blocking thing, uh, you know, angle record components, um, a lot of other, like, features that people would like to see in Ember, a lot of it seemed to be kind of bound up by, well, Glimmer 2 is going to unlock a lot of these things for us. And I'm curious, for an end user of Ember, what does Glimmer 2 really mean for them in terms of, like, the next six months to a year? Like, are there a lot of things that are planning to be unlocked by Glimmer 2, or is it going to be much more of an inter- incremental progress, or do we not actually know everything that's going to be unlocked at this point? I think it's a combination of all of those. So, like I said earlier, um, there are probably features that along the lines of the angle bracket component or the lower level component primitives rehydration. And there is also this concept of chunk rendering in that basically do as much rendering as possible without making a significant pause on the UI thread and then yields back to the browser to, for, for user interaction and then go back to rendering more stuff until, and, and repeat that until you're done. So the net effect is you basically don't block scrolling and things like that for a significant amount of time, even though your initial render might actually take more than the time frame that would be, you know, it would take longer than the, 60 FPS or whatever time frame um, you have allocated. So that's that. And also performance in general, right? Like we, I think we're very much not done here. We're just getting started. We have a much better engine to work with and there are a lot of further optimizations that we wanted to do. So now that we have shipped, we've completed the compatibility requirement more or less. I think Everyone is excited to get back onto those things that they were previously working on. Another one I've seen kind of referenced a couple times, especially by Tom, is like using Glimmer components and Ember CLI as kind of like a lightweight Ember without all of Ember. Um, and even if you poke around the, the Glimmer repo, there's a lot of benchmarks that you can see a version of Ember components that don't yet exist. Uh, you, you see TypeScript, you see ES6 class, extends, Glimmer component. A lot of things that I know people would be absolutely thrilled to see in Ember. Right. A, is standalone Glimmer like planned to be a thing at all? And like, does that syntax, like ES6 class components, is that a thing that Glimmer 2 unlocks at all? Or are there other things that are are blocking that. Right. Yes, all of those are definitely in the pipeline. So standalone Glimmer is interesting. Um, as you mentioned, Tom and several other people have started experimenting with that today. Um, I think Tom talked about it in his Ember Camp London keynote this year or last year, 2016. Yeah, that was it. So if you haven't seen that, you can definitely go check that out. It's not something I would recommend doing like today in production, um, just because there are a lot of churn in the code base still. Um, so we need to stabilize that. Like literally when I went on vacation for the last three weeks, Yehuda basically rewrote the entire VM. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's some work that we have been talking about for a long time and he basically end up having some free time to, to hack on that. So like everything changed after I came back from vacation. So if you do that today, that's probably what you would have to deal with in the foreseeable futures in the, in the next few months, right? But I think we are definitely working towards making that more stable so we can um, enable the kind of um, things that Tom is doing. And part of it is definitely we need to make it easier. Currently, Tom has to do a lot of work to make that happen, and Ember CLI has to be a core part of the story, and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think a lot of um, people are definitely working towards that goal. And in terms of TypeScript, ES6, and all of that, TypeScript is actually pretty interesting. It's kind of a, another happy accident that came out of the Glimmer 2 uh, rewrite. So as I mentioned 
uh, at the beginning, basically when I was new to HTML bar school base, there were so many concepts and Yehuda and I are both traveling a lot at the time. So every time we reconvene, it was like, wait a minute, I forgot everything. So let's actually take the whiteboard and write down all of these things here permanently so I won't forget them. And as we start to do that, it was like, actually, this is very complicated to write on the whiteboard. So let's just write out the types somewhere, not in a very rigid sense, but just that, oh, okay, this, there's this thing called render node. And this is basically the responsibility. There are the, these are the methods on that thing and these are the fields on that thing and as you write that out you probably want to remember oh this is actually a string or this is a an object with these sub properties and as we actually tried to do that it was like well we should not actually invent like we we would either have to invent a notation for that or we could just use a notation that people have made for this purpose already so we let's just go to the typescript playground and type it out there and then that turned out to be great but it's not that amazing to write many interfaces in the browser so let's just go back to the the editor window and type in there and um, it turns out TypeScript is written in a way that all valid JavaScript is valid TypeScript. So it's a, basically a superset of JavaScript, right? So eventually what we end up doing is we just went through the entire code base and uh, renamed all the JavaScript file to .ts and then we made a commit of that. And um, incrementally, we, we end up switching the entire code base to uh, TypeScript and that's actually how it happened. So in terms of using TypeScript and ESX classes in Ember, it's probably blocked by a few RCs. Um, there are probably some design work needed there, but I, I would say that's that's happening. I, I don't know how close it is, but uh, just because there are a lot of things in the pipeline, right? And I, I, um, but I think it's a relatively high priority thing. All right. So before we wrap up, we had some some great listener questions uh, that came in over Twitter. So I want to put those to you. Um, so the first one comes from uh, Elric R. And the question is: So, what are the performance gains on mobile for Glimmer Two? How does how does this better position Ember for mobile development? I think the short answer is it's faster. Um, as far as how much faster, uh, it's unfortunately a really hard question to answer, just because it varies so much from app to app, right? Like, so we have some numbers that we have been looking at as we develop it, but at the end of the day, each app is very, very different, and um, the kind of things that slows your app down might not be very obvious. There's a pretty interesting thing that happened when we were landing Glimmer 2. Like one day I was checking the Ember community Slack and someone reported, hey, like I have this list of like 1,500 items that I'm, I'm rendering. I know that's not ideal, but it is what it is for now. But I, I just tried Glimmer 2 and it's really slow. It's taking like three seconds to render that list of 1,500 uh, rows is there something wrong? And it's like, ah, oh, that sucks. Like we, we tried to make this thing faster, but I agree three seconds is still really slow. So we're like, oh, can you share your app or like, can you check what is the delta, right? Like what, what was the number pre glimmer to? It's like, oh, okay, let me go check. Oh, actually it turns out it was uh, 13 seconds pre glimmer to, and it was now three seconds. So it was like, oh, okay, I, I agree. That's, not great, but like, you know, with 1,500 items and like we went from 13 seconds down to three seconds, I think I will take that as a win. Right. So, um, part of it is difference like that, right? Like is how complicated your page is. And it's also, um, there are a lot of factors that are actually unrelated to rendering, perhaps surprisingly, all of which we're working on. But for example, how many routes you have in your app actually, for some reason, plays a pretty significant role on the initial t- initial render timing and also how big your app is and, and such like uh, things like that. Um, I think across the board, it's pretty much faster. As you can see, sometimes it's like 14 seconds to three seconds. Uh, for smaller apps, it might be from 500 milliseconds to 400 milliseconds. In Skylight, I think we're seeing anywhere from seven to 30, 40% overall, right? Like in, in these number, we're talking about macro numbers, right? Like it's like everything from downloading JavaScript to everything up until the page is interactive. Um, so there's a lot more than rendering going on there, but I don't have a good one size fit all number for you here, but 
I think overall it's faster and we'll make it faster still and we'll continue to make it smaller. Um, and hopefully all of that would be meaningful improvement for mobile or even just performance in general, if that's something you care about in your app. Yeah, because I, I understand that the payload size is a lot smaller and that, that ought to make a huge difference there. So then, and then I guess the final question is, uh, and this one comes from uh, Lauren T. What is your favorite flavor of bubble tea. Interesting. So I, I love bubble tea, but uh, for whatever reason, I'm just not really into milk teas. I, I know that's, you know, that's what most people go for when they get bubble tea. My personal favorite is probably honey lemon green tea. That's probably my go-to. Mm, that's delicious. I think I subsisted wholly on those like uh, Arizona iced tea, like uh, 20 ounce cans for, <laughs> you know, from about the age of 17 to 18. There might have been a few months where, like, that represented all of my caloric intake. Yeah, I, I think I once bought a one-gallon pack of those from Walmart, and unfortunately, the bottle broke in my trunk on my way home. So <laughs> I basically stopped buying those after that. <laughs> you get the nice smell of rancid tea. All righty. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming by, Godfrey. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, been very enlightening. Uh, a deep dive into what uh, Glimmer 2 is all about, the challenges that you faced kind of getting there and kind of the where we can expect to go now that it's here. Oh, let me ask one final question before we send it out. You know, Glimmer 2 has been a long process. There's been a lot of hills to climb. And, you know, I know a lot of people that I've talked to uh, you know, as part of the community, one of the biggest questions they have is like, how can I get involved? How can I help? How can, you know, where can I throw my weight to see, you know, this technology, you know, blossom and become really, really useful and widely applicable to everybody inside the Ember community and just, you know, in general, where, where are more of those quests uh, that you just described? Where can people go to find out more and to, to contribute more? There are several places. So first of all, there is the Ember community Slack, and there's a Def Ember channel, and there's also a Def Glimmer channel. I think we might merge them back into a single channel at some point, but currently those are where people are hanging out. And um, in terms of quest issue, it's like actually really counterintuitive in terms of... Um, the time investment versus the payoff, right? Like if there's one thing that I wish I did earlier and I wish I did more is probably I would have started these quest issues earlier and do more of them. And um, I guess we have to write more of them. But yeah, basically hang on those channels. And um, a lot of times people ask questions and then we try to help them out and um uh, a lot of times those end up turning into opportunities for contributions. It's kind of like documentation, right? Like I don't actually hate writing documentation, but it's just, it's not the, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of prioritization, right? And I think writing quest issue is kind of like that. When you actually do it, you realize, well, wow, like this is actually really helpful and I should do it more. But it's just so counterintuitive that it's often not the first thing I try to do when uh, when I try to prioritize my day, right? So um, it's just something I have to keep reminding myself, and I appreciate the reminder here that I need to write more of these issues and get more people to empower more people to be able to help. All righty. Well, uh, you heard it, folks. Thank you very much, and uh, we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.